I don't think I'm good enough for this episode, so I will let Peter take over today. He is so good that he has known Mind Snare for over 25 years. I'm just a new Jack Robot trying to get a burrito. Enjoy the episode's legends, but remember, if you are new, then please like, subscribe and follow for all your hardcore news. Let's fucking go. Alright listeners, I say it every week, but today truly is a special guest. Uh, I'm sure that you've seen, but Mind Snare are celebrating 30 years of being a band, which is insane, especially for a hardcore band in Australia. No other band has done it, and I dare say not many will. There's one I can think of that's going to give it a red hot go, though. Would you know who I'm talking about, Jed? Yeah, they're my favourite band. Yes, but they, we don't need to bring that up, but they're going to have a go. But anyway, Mind Snare beat them 30 years, insanity. They've been a band since 1993, and they've had barely any member changes. They continue to put out good music, which a lot of bands that stick around for a long time don't do that. And... They also continue to be legends of humans, which for me is even more important. Uh, no ego, no bullshit, just down-to-earth legends that love the core and also have stayed relevant by actually being involved in the hardcore community and seeing, not just like coming in and playing a show once a year and no one knows who they are. Everyone knows and everyone respects them. Let's just start by playing... Probably one of the first songs they ever wrote. This is off Under Fire, which came out in 95, but was recorded, I believe, in 93, which, again, like I said, like that is around the literal start of hardcore in Australia. There was other bands, Minute Minder and Toe to Toe, sort of starting at the same time in Sydney, which we'll get to in other episodes. But for now, please listen to this song, Burn. Just to get it right, we 
that song was recorded in 1993, but came out a few years later. However, I was 12 in 1993 when these men decided to make a band in Melbourne. And I was just going into grade seven, totally scared of the world and boogie boarding every day. So the fact that they turned into one of the first Australian bands that I found out about and fell in love with. And now 30 years on, I'm talking about them on a podcast with you is a great experience. I just, we need to like, we're going to say it a million times and you're going to hear 30 years over and over again. But if you have been in a band and dealt with the bullshit of what it's like being in a band or like Jed has toured with bands his whole life, the things that, you argue over and disagree on are so minute, but they end bands. (laughs) So for them to have managed to just fucking work together for this amount of time. And like I said, the most impressive things is there's been barely any changes. Originally the guitarist was Brad who went on to do within blood and he played in a bunch of other bands in Melbourne, more metal bands, I reckon. Um, and Belty came in real early on, earlier on than I thought. He said he joined like 94 when they did like the second demos for like that appears on the end of uh, Under Fire. And you can hear the difference from when he joins. But other than that, and like a, a drum drummer change when Gordy joined, which is fucking back during like hang choke wrist slit. That's how long ago that was, that change. They're really like stuck solid as it's insane. <laughs> Like for to have the same lineup since pretty much two thousand is what's happened. So that's psycho. It's very psycho. And it's a feat that, yeah, as you said, no one will get close to. And I think a lot of listeners really need to go back and look at their age and then take away thirty and say, What was I doing when I was this age? and realize how good they've been for that long. So Let's uh let's move to the to the next. Well, part I was going to say. So I was eleven when when this was going on ninety five. Um, sorry ninety three, but by ninety seven I was a young fifteen year old who was somehow I don't know how finding out about <laughs> punk and hardcore. And obviously I've told this story a million times. I saw toe-to-toe at Maruba Beach. But from that, I worked out that Scott had a record shop, Resist Records, and I started going in there. And like I've spoken about before, it wasn't the most well-stocked shop. But what they did have and started to do around this time was have in-stores. So bands would play on Sundays when the shops next door were closed so they wouldn't get noise complaints. And it was a sick little room, actually, and I've got a VHS of it, which I really do need to put online. But randomly, I don't even know how I knew this was on because I didn't know either band, but this little band from New York, you might have heard of them, called Agnostic Front, played in there, and another little band who you might have heard called Mind Snare played before them. <laughs> and I just randomly, I don't know, I can't remember how I knew it was on, but yeah, I, I saw both bands at that and that just like opened my eyes to a whole other world. Cause at that point, like I knew toe to toe, I knew Madball, 
And like maybe actually I must have known agnostic front through Madball and that's probably why I was there. But anyway, from that I realized, hang on, we've got our own hardcore bands. There's more than just toe-to-toe because at the time I pretty much just knew toe-to-toe. Um, and a couple months later they played with your favorite band, Guttermouth, at the old uh, Manning Bar. And I was taking photos on my old film camera. <laughs> that I still I still either have or I'm pretty sure I gave them to Nigel. They were pretty funny photos, like just real standard, like just they're actually okay maybe, but I'm sure they were happy to have them. Well, you are the original Hartley. Let's just put it out there. Yeah, you're a sweater, Hartley. Stop trying to copy me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, around this time, a little album called Credulity came out which is often, look, it's with any band, you're always going to say, oh, that's the best. But when I think of Mindsnare, that's the album that I think of because it's obviously the first thing that I, I was hearing and seeing them when it had just come out. Um, but some of the songs on that, like Australian Hardcore hadn't really heard that kind of shit, you know, and I guess it's similar to what we're talking about with the Adelaide episode, like, Force Fed Nine doing something a bit completely different, you know, and like at this time, this was very different, you know. You listen to it now and it just sounds like blast, like psycho hardcore, but back then people would have been like, this is fucking metal, <laughs> mm. you know. Well, but fuck, it's good and it's, it's aged well too. Yeah, I mean, I remember when it came, when we got our hands on it somehow and the music was incredible, but I was scared of the singing. And I remember just like turning it off when the singing came, which is pretty much impossible because, but it, yeah, it definitely grew on me and turned into the, the staple of hardcore bands that um you would just listen to throughout your, your teenage years. So it was incredible to have that opportunity to do so. And then I didn't see them for like four or five years after that, but let's, uh, let's go for it. Let's play a song.
around that time, uh, Mindsnet started like touring quite a lot. And there was a tour, if anyone remembers it, called the Hardcore Barbecue Tour. It had toe-to-toe, Mind Snare, Mid-Youth Crisis and Downtime, which Jed wasn't aware is Eric Groth Jr. who played NRL for a number of years. That was his band. He's actually a legend. I met him a few times. Um, That was his band. And they did quite an extensive tour that included a lot of regional dates. Um, I found a poster last night that didn't include a show that Jed will talk about, but they played on a boat cruise in Sydney that I definitely went to. They played like out near Campbelltown at some weird like school hall or something that I went to. But we, we used to travel around and I don't know, like my little crew, Ricky, Pete, anytime Mind Snare was anywhere in New South Wales, we'd kind of go. And I guess that's how we sort of developed a pretty strong friendships with all of these guys. What show did you not go to? <laughs> I seem to think that I remember seeing a flyer for that show coming to Lismore. And in 1907, I'm pretty sure I got my license at the end of the year. I don't know when it was. I just couldn't even imagine going to Lismore. It was just too psycho. All I wanted to do was go surfing. So I missed it. However, I loved MYC. I bought their album in 97. So I was definitely down for the core, but uh, never got to go. And that's just, that's just a memory that I'll never know what happened. If Nigel can confirm or deny that they did go to Lismore, I'd be happy to hear I was right or wrong. Yeah, I'm going to actually find that out. That'll be good to know. So I don't think I saw them until 2000, so I don't really need to come into this conversation until then. Well, so what we were about to talk about was there's an EP that came out around this time called, it's just the self-titled, but for some reason it gets called the White EP. So that actually came out not long after Credulity, either the same year or just after, if I'm sure I could check, I have them, but it was a bit of a, people weren't so sure about it, but the song we're going to play is fucking good. I know that. But again, this is around the time when, it seemed as though they were in New South Wales almost every other weekend and it was pretty sick to have a band like that coming through and playing quite consistently, you know. What what would have the um, uh, the logistics have been back then? Jumped in a in a oh, Camry yeah. or a or a Holden no. Commodore and just driven up the highway? No, nah, Nigel's always been pro as man. They've always he's been doing it for so long that they would always have a big van you know right yeah they'd have 12 seaters plenty of room they invented the 12 seater i reckon and i remember we did it with not for you restraint it was actually quite sick get a real big van share gear plenty of room not not plenty of room when you put two bands in it but i mean it's good when you only have one Mm. (laughs) um while we're here though i'll just tell some quick stories that ended up happening a little bit later, but that hardcore 2000 we talked about, then the next night I got my first tattoo in their hotel room, which could have been around then or probably earlier. I was too scared to get a tattoo anywhere because my dad would kill me. So I got it in my mouth 
So I think I was either 17 or possibly younger, depending on when the fuck it happened, but in some shit hotel room in Newtown, getting a tattoo inside my mouth. Uh, obviously, restraint. We played all over with them. We uh, ended up doing quite a bunch of stuff with them, which was insane for us. You know, obviously, they're gaining not much from having us on the bill, but <laughs> we were stoked. And obviously, Nigel put our record out. Um, and well, he also played a big part in <laughs> keeping us alive after we had a pretty serious car accident that blocked the freeway between Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, yeah. that I won't go into. <laughs> I'm just thinking about what I was doing at 17, and that was smoking bongs and listening to mostly punk, and you're getting tattooed <laughs> in mine says hotel room. Like, the, yeah, it's but, so insane. But like I said to you, I looked 25 and I acted <laughs> 30, 35. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I was a psycho kid. I was a fuck. I just hope my own children aren't like me. But and obviously I was with Ricky, who was a lot older than me, and you know, not a lot, but you know, seven, eight, ten, whatever years it is. And yeah. So it just didn't seem that weird. And Pete Bursky was always with us too, and he's the same. He always looked older than he was, and he's younger than me. Mm. It was just kind of normal. And you know, fuck knows right. how I used to get around. Obviously not drive. All right, let's play another song. What is mine from the White EP?
right, listeners, that was a good song. And now I've got a suggestion for three other really good songs. In 99, Mindsnare put out a split with the U- Euroband Congress. And on um, Nigel's label, Trial and Error. And the three songs on that, to me, are the Mindsnare's peak of success. Well, I probably cooked that, but uh, I'm just too busy sweating how good they are. So we played <laughs> one of those songs on the episode that Pete did with uh, Matt Maunder. If you haven't gone back and found all the old episodes that we've done, that one's one of the better ones. So scroll all the way down and you'll see it. It's in there somewhere. Go check it out. So we're going to move on to the shows that they've just announced. Some big shows with some big local supports. Pete is the internet guru here. So anyway, the reason why we're here and the reason we're celebrating this legendary band and talking of them is because to celebrate their 30 years, they've announced a whole bunch of shows. So let's quickly run through them. On Friday, the 6th of October, they'll be playing at the Bendigo Hotel with Internal Rot, Terminal Sleep and Heat. The next night, the 7th, they'll be playing with Geld, Horsepower and Ratbait. So those two shows are sold out, I dare say. If you haven't already got a ticket, you're done. (laughs) Saturday, the 14th of October at Frankston, Singing Bird Studio, Fever Shack, Womb to Tomb, Threat and Cutters. I believe Threat and Fever Shack are local bands. That is going to be the loosest fucking night in history. Someone may die. (laughs) Um, Then the next weekend in Sydney, Crowbar, Phantoms, Histamine and Backhand. Saturday, 21st of October, that is. Then uh, we're going to the next weekend, Friday the 27th, up on the Gold Coast, Entrapment, Blind Girls and fucking Half Man. The boys. I'll be there. That's at Vinny's Dive. Jed's going to do a scene report. Nigel, can you put him on the guest list, please? Thanks, Thank thanks you. Nigel. Uh, and the next night, they'll be heading up the freeway to Brizzy at the Soapbox, wherever that is. Nerve Damage, Crave Death, World of Joy. It's as good as it gets. Saturday, 28th of October. If you're listening to this, you're with us already. But if you're not, and you haven't seen Mind Snare, this is your fucking chance. Like, don't fuck around. I think I've already said this multiple times, but musically, each member of this band does what you do, but better. You're not better than them at what they do. <laughs> and then you combine them and they're they, bands. If you played after them, you're not playing better than them. Like, I don't care about the crowd response, but musically, they're going to smoke you. They are on another level, and so they should be, really. But get a ticket, celebrate fucking legends of Australian hardcore, and buy them a beer because they'll drink it. What well else done. Have I got? Thank, thank you, Peter. Thanks. That was really good. Professional. That was pretty good. Yeah. Um, Thanks. These shows will be sold out by the end of the week or next week. There's no jokes about it. If you want a ticket, buy one. Big Jim, that means you. You're not getting a door spot. Sorry, mate. He'll be trying to get on the door. He's probably (laughs) already written to Nigel. (laughs) So, um, Peter has... Sorry, Big Jim. Yeah, sorry, Big. 
Jimbo. Peter has gone out and uh, interviewed Nigel, flown down to Melbourne personally for this little interview here. So we're going to play a song of Hang Choked, Wrist Slit. Came out in 2001. Just think about 2001 for a minute, 22 years ago. And then this comes out and it's just the most insane piece of music you've ever fucking experienced. Mm. And this, this was the flag in the sand saying, this is fucking who we are. Yeah. Like, we're was, we're here now. A big statement. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what we do. So Pete would usually play among us the first song. <laughs> He's probably never listened Don't. to the second song. Listen, I was the one moshing at the shows while you were smoking bongs in your yep. fucking basement. Straight up. Okay? Yep. Oh, sorry. Don't even step to the fucking... I apologize. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. just before we play this, I remember seeing them for the first time in Brisbane in like 2000. Pretty sure they played with Dead Stare and I bought a 7-inch and I watched them play and, you know, 23 years ago, was just chaos then as it is still chaos now so it's been a wild ride so here we go here's one of my favorite songs of this album at an end introduction but i'm going to give him one anyway nigel salad dodger melder bass player in mind snare head boss behind trial and error records for a long long time um an all-round legend let's get straight into it 30 years of mind snare congratulations that's fucking insane can you believe it? And what do you put the longevity down to? Yeah, 30 years is pretty nuts. I mean, it's only Matt that's been in the band for 30 years. Um, 
Belty and I joined in 94, and I'm pretty sure, this is where it gets real hazy, I'm pretty sure for our first shows, I might have been up the snow or something, and it was something I couldn't cancel. It's like a Wednesday night show, and I think Belty played bass. Um, and then on, we did another show that week on the Saturday, which I'd like to say was Price of Silence at the Great Britain. Um, and I, so that was my first show, and Belty's first show on guitar. Now he, I mean, shit, he might just say that I'm mad and I've just recreated this whole scenario. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, even fucking Gordy, he's been in the band for 23 years. Like, that's pretty crazy that it's, it's the four of us. And I think when most people think of the band and they think of Mind Snare, generally I think they think of the, the four of us, though there's a pretty good argument, um, you know, for the first album that a lot of people would think of sort of the, the three of us with, with, you know, Adam and Brad. And Adam and Brad, they started the band with Matt and Annabelle. Um, you know, Adam's been around forever he was in bands before mind snare and you know since he started things like 28 days he played on that first record and then sort of got out after a little bit uh he even played it with blood for a little while and even recently he's been filling in in depression who they'd be celebrating their 40th anniversary this year which is pretty nuts so if you want to talk about longevity you know hats off to them um and also vicious circle if you're talking about melbourne hardcore um and then brad's not playing in bands anymore but when you think about what he kind of achieved you know, there's the first Mind Snare record he played on the first Blood Duster record. You know, started with him Blood, started Samsara. Um, it's a pretty, pretty strong pedigree. Um, long, you know, the longevity for us. Um, look, it's, I think at the end of the day, we all still really like, I mean, sure, we, obviously we like the music because we wouldn't be doing it for this long if you didn't. Um, it's clearly not a phase, but it's also, I think we all, we all really like, discovering new music we like new bands we like new music you know the the band chat you know one in ten questions would be like hey you want to play a show and then the rest is just hey have you heard this have you heard this have you heard this um you know or throw back to something i'll talk about an old record or something but at the end of the day i think we're just we all just really stuff we just love music and i guess we're a collection of guys that got together and some music tastes are common some you know, we might not all agree on everything, but it's it's funny that for some reason we all gel and we all works, and it all works. You know, it's um even the other night, Pelsey and I went we went to the Geld record launch, which was sick. Um, Born Free killed it, Terminal Sleep killed it, um, and we we're talking about it, and Pelsey was complaining that he listens to so much new music, he hasn't got time to go back and listen to something. I can't remember what it was. It might have been Raining Blood or something. And he went and listened to an old record, and he's like, fuck, I forget how good this is. All, all I ever listen to is new music these days. Um, so I think that's a big thing of why, you know, we're probably still together. We've toughed it out. Um, though, to be honest, it's not really... Maybe in the earlier days, it might have been toughing out when we are a bit more active, but these days it's a pretty comfortable situation for us, and, and, and we're all real you know, happy with it. And I think even just having the same lineup for the last 23 years, I mean, Gordy joining the band, I mean, between, you know, Adam founding the band and playing on the first record and, and then leaving and then Gordy joining the board, I think we went through three drummers um, and, and, and three lots of tryouts and it sort of never gelled for whatever reason. And I think when he, 
came along it just seemed to be this perfect fit for all of us and it's not like we're all the same and you know once again a different personality and a different beast but it just it, it, it sort of it sat really well for everyone and I think I think if that changed you know we wouldn't be a band still today I think it, I mean there was a point where he got bored with playing drums um, and we announced that it was going to be not not our final show was in the bands breaking up but you know we don't know when we're going to play again um, and it was we played with Gordy and then I don't think we played for a year year and a half and then he just I think he just wanted time away from the drums and then when he came back we sort of picked it all up again um, so I think if they leave if he leaves or if anyone else leaves like the band's done so I guess us staying together is what you know is is the main reason um, and I think it's also you know Matt phrases things differently to everyone else I think he delivers things a little differently to everyone else and you can probably say the same thing about Belty's riffs um, and whilst both of them you know you can hear you can hear influences uh, uh, but they've both sort of got their own unique thing going on and then you cross the beams with those two and I think we've sort of created something that has resonated with a bunch of people and also more importantly us I think if we went out, we tried to be an agnostic front sort of style band. That'd be great, but I don't think the band lasts 30 years trying to rip off a band. Um, I think trying to do your own thing and, and sort of have your own style through all the comings and goings of hardcore and just, you know, what's cool and what's not and what's up and what's down and, you know, whether it's metal or whether it's old school or whether it's this or whether it's that. I think we've kind of always sort of gone along our own path and that's probably what's helped us last as long as we have question two what are some favorite memories that come to mind just straight off the bat that's a long time but i mean what are some things that pop out you probably get four different answers if you ask all four of us um i don't think there was ever like a you know a, a pinnacle sort of moment in the band because we never we never kind of we never tried to get big we never had goals we never had something where we wanted to get to so there's you know there's not a we don't have a a moment that's sort of defining for us if that makes sense and you know aside from the shows I think it's all the other experiences probably along the way that, that we had you know whether it was you know going to you know going to Adelaide or Perth or Brisbane or Sydney going to those places for the first time and seeing bands and especially seeing bands that never made it to Melbourne or, or, or you were witnessing the birth of something like it you know especially liking it to Perth when you know, we went to Perth and, you know, people were telling us, you know, Toe to Toe had been there once and then we were sort of kind of the next band that, you know, that went over there because I think back then flights were like 800 bucks or something each. It wasn't cheap. Um, I'm pretty sure Day Contempt went not long after us, but, you know, they had a, they had a few band, they had a few bands and some really fucking passionate people and then looking at what the Perth scene became and how it blew up and the amount of bands that came out of that place and, yeah, you, know, you can't name check everyone, but if you just look at someone like you know Miles Away or Extortion, you know internationally renowned, released, you know and in different scenes, totally independent of each other and and, and not even piggybacked, you know made, made their own way. Like you, it's it's pretty it's pretty cool to be to, to see that and, and watch those things sort of grow. Um, you know, it was all the other things around the shows that were a lot of fun. Um, Especially in the 90s, like we had this thing where we're just really into sneaking into pools. 
if we played shows and it was hot, we're always jumping over fences and jumping in pools and, you know, I guess if you, as far as anecdotes go, I think it was Mill and Colin and no fun at all. And there was probably about 40 of us in Pram Pool. Next thing the lights come on, the cops run in and everyone's fucking naked and jumping fences and the Swedes got caught by the police and we all had to go back as these poor guys are there not being able to speak English. Um, the cops were kind of, actually, I think they thought it was kind of funny in the end. But you know, we definitely threw a good series of, of sneaking into pools and looking for spots down the beach or just touring, especially when you're driving between places looking for skate parks. Like this is, you know, pre-GPS, pre-internet, pre-stuff on your phone. I mean, there wasn't phones. Um, and you have to just roll into a town and go, hey, where's the skate park? Where's, you know, where can you get this kind of food? Where can you do these things? You know, being vegetarian and vegan in the 90s wasn't so fucking easy unless you just wanted to eat chips your whole life and then you probably weren't happy with the kind of oil they were being cooked in. Um, it was, you know, some of the best memories, I guess, come from those sorts of things. Um, even right down to, like, you know, being in the van and, and back then you tour, it, everyone would bring a CD wallet with, I think, I don't know, I think they held 48 CDs or 52 CDs or some some division of four. Um, and everyone would just be flicking through each other's thing, just ragging on their collection or arguing about what gets played next. I mean, those, I guess they're the things that probably s- stick out for me. Um, but if you, if you think about shows, I guess... You know, a lot of the art house shows sort of meld into one and people talk about the art house in Melbourne very nostalgically and, you know, I think I think everything that people say about it's true and it was about the people that came there and it was about the people that owned it and, and their buy into the scene and, and how, you know, how supportive they were. I mean, fuck Marie, you know, when I can't, I don't even know how old she was at the time. She must have been 50 and she's fighting with Nazis and the police come and then one of the police guys, you know, one of the cops is Chinese. Um it was as funny as it was ludicrous and, and that place was a home for a lot of people um, and it could never be recreated. I don't think we've ever, I mean, they ran for 20 years and I don't think they could, there's anywhere in Australia that's kind of like it and it's renowned and, you know, saying all that, I wouldn't want it back. I think it was a, it was a place in time and it was what it was um, and we were lucky to be, a, to be a part of it, but it's, it's, you know, Things, things move on. I mean, the festivals in Sydney. Sydney always had this thing about it where first would happen and, it, you know, back in the 90s, there was a couple of really good ones. I remember Street, you know, East Coast Street Assault, the Sean No Deal put on. And it was just a very eclectic mix of bands. And, you know, I can still see Jolsey's art. Um, if I, you know, I don't have to close my eyes. It's burned into my retina, you know. And then you look at all the, all the hardcore festivals that, that Graham at Resist put on. You know, it's for for some reason Sydney. Back then, Sydney needed it, um, and they're seeing maybe because it's so geographically spread out. Shows usually, you know, unless it was a toe to toe or something, shows weren't usually as well attended. Um, but for some reason, hardcore made people jump on planes and fly into Sydney. And you know what? It's actually, you know, when you look at back on the map, it's, I think. The, the very same thing is being recreated now, you know, by Speed and Beast Mode. And when you look at what Last Ride's doing, and Sydney's probably a very different place and a lot healthier than it used to be. I think the punk scene in Sydney was very healthy, but the hardcore scene wasn't. Um, I think now it's there's, there's a better crossover and, you know, that city's great. Um, Adelaide in 94, 95, you know, we, 
you could play Adelaide and you could play down south, which is probably kind of unheard of today. But, you know, we played at the Digger Footy Club and we played at the university and we played at some rehearsal rooms. I think first time we ever went there and it was middle of an industrial estate. I was like this bikey compound and we, we went with Self-Reliance, which was half of 28 days. And we sort of pulled up and the, the gate got pulled back like, you know, we were entering the compound. It was this fucking weird joint. And, it was, you know, it was awesome. We'd seen nothing like it, you know, like, and you kind of got that in those regional towns and those sort of scenes that were that maybe weren't in the capital cities or, or a bit left the centre. I mean, that show, I think, was maybe that was Where's the Pope and the Price of Silence. Um, you know, you, you saw different things. I think now you kind of don't see different things, but that, that's probably, you know, it's, it's little things like that that I think uh, that sort of mean a lot. I mean, we had some good tours we toured a lot in the 90s and it's sort of by by the mid 2000s we kind of stopped touring um but you know we we could tour australia two three times a year you know you couldn't do that now you just everyone would be fucking sick you and ask you to stop coming but for some reason we could do that and i think we could do that because we you know we play with different kinds of bands and and we were super lucky that toe to toe really took care of us at the start and sort of paved the way for us to do what we do and you know, it's funny, we did the same thing, and I think Day Contempt probably jumped on the back of that, and then Prom Queen, and then Parkway, and it's funny that, you know, the ball sort of rolls along. Um, as far as international touring goes, we didn't really do much. We went to New Zealand, and we played some, we actually had some really fun shows there. I mean, the very first show was shut down by the police uh, before we even played, um, before we even got to go on. But yeah, we, we played with, with Balance, and and. I don't think DSM was around then. I think they came like a year later. Um, but yeah, we played with we played with Somerset and there was just a bunch of really interesting bands over there. I think we sort of got on really well with everyone and we felt akin to what everyone was doing because they were building their own thing over there. Yet I think they were pretty open-minded about all the different things that there were. And, and the, only other, the only other place we went was Japan. We were supposed to support Downset and they cancelled three weeks out and fucked. Who knows if they were even supposed to, even if they were even booked, um, we might have got duped. But either way, we bought our flight, so we were going. We ended up playing six shows, I think four, maybe five shows. We played with Numb, um, which was awesome. And we had a seven inch, out, I had a split seven inch out with them for the tour. That was something that the promoter did. He put a lot of records out around the tours that he was that he was doing. Um, and then we brought them to Australia after that as well, and they came and played shows in Australia. And that, that band's actually still killing it. Speaking of longevity, I mean, they've been probably around as long as we have. Um, shout out to Centre. Um, that's, you know, we, we did a lot of, I guess we played a lot of shows. So the, the memory is playing with different bands, if that makes sense. I mean, you know, we, we, we play with Spitboy, then we play with No Effects, or we play with Lagbag, and then we play with Creator. Like, it was definitely... A, a wide mix of bands that we would go and do shows with, you know, or, you know, we tour with Guttermouth and then we tour with Agnostic Front, you know, or we'd go and tour with Ringworm. Um, we're sort of lucky enough that we could do, I guess because of what we do, we just somehow managed to slot in to different sort of scenes, um, you know, whether it was metal or, or, or punk or whatever, and, and people kind of accepted us, which was nice. Um, and that's, that's probably more memorable than actually playing some of the shows, if that makes sense. It's probably a weird thing to say, but 
just the fact that we were there and we were doing stuff more so than what we we're actually doing. Um, might be a weird way to look at it. Question three. I don't know if I've asked you this, but what's your favourite mind snare record and why? Um, it's a hard one because I don't, I don't listen to the band other than, you know, the demo process or, you know, recording, mixing, mastering. Um, and probably the last time I ever actually listened to a record is when the test press comes in. Um, other than that, I'm just, I'm not one of those people that just sits there and jams out on my own music. I mean, kudos to anyone that does get enjoyment out of it. I kind of find it hard. Um, I guess, you know, maybe 15 years later, I'll have to listen to something if we're going to throw a new song into the set or do something different. And, you know, you, you need to learn something. Um, but I don't sort of listen. But I, I guess, you know, to answer the question, you know, I probably have to answer Credulity probably because it was just most impactful for us as a band. Um, you know, Brad and Bomber, you know, Brad and Adam and Quit, you know, both sort of founding members. It was, you know, so at this point now, it's really just Matt who started the band. And, you know, this is only sort of three or four years after the band started. So to a point, Belty and I were still the new guys. Um, we had to find a drummer and, and you know, Belty became the songwriter. You know, I can write a riff, but I can't write an amazing one or I can write one good one and then I'm fucking done. It's not like I've got a hundred riffs in me. So, you know, Belty became the main, you know, the main songwriter. And we, we dropped back to just, you know, one, even though we dropped back to one guitar, the band became more metal, you know. Some some people, sort of Newcastle, City, Wollongong, all started having a cry that we're too metal, but that kind of thing sort of wore wore off pretty quickly um but it was it just i think it opened us up to a wider world for some reason and you know it was it was all of a sudden instead of sounding probably like a new york hardcore influenced band you know or or you know with um Deltic frost riffs or something it's it's you know all of a sudden the influences you know whether it was i mean i i this, I shouldn't even be speaking for Belty, but, you know, all of a sudden it was, you know, it was it was influenced by everything from, you know, Created to Earth Crisis to, you know, Uniform Choice to Drop Dead to Voorhees, fuck, whatever. Like, there was such a, it was a wider range of stuff, and we sort of, we, we could do anything. And not that we were ever limited, so that's not what I'm trying to say, but it was just, it was almost like a, that's the dog shaking, sorry. Um it's almost like a sort of a, a fresh start and we could do what we wanted. And the direction we went also was probably, you know, a great, one of the greater reasons why, you know, Matt started with his blood because he wanted to do something more sort of straightforward and traditional, like what we used to do and, you know, did it with Brad and at one point I was in the band as well. Um, but can you shut up? Anyway, uh, and the other the other thing about it was it was also the start of, of trying to record. So there's a record label that, that that I started, but the guys were very, uh, and I can't thank them for enough. They were very supportive. Um, the first record came out, and you know we sold like a thousand CDs, which was a lot, which is a big number for for the for the 90s. Probably pale in comparison to what bands sell today, but. You know, it was it was such a weird thing to sell that many records, and then the label didn't want to 
put the next one out because they, they, they kind of did one release from, from each band. So I was kind of forced to start the record label. Um, and then once that started, it was like, well, geez, who else can I, can I put out? In the end, I put out almost 100 releases. And a, a lot of which were, I think, the greatest thing for me was a lot of those releases were debut records. So it was giving, it was giving bands the chance to get their music out. And it was probably harder to understand now, but it wasn't easy to get your music out and it wasn't easy to get, you know, back then what was a CD in the store. There really wasn't a lot of vinyl pressing going on. The Australian dollar was shit. Uh, vinyl was super expensive. It was hard to make records and generally, you know, a lot of people weren't buying them. You know, we all still bought records and and people still did put out records and credulity came out on vinyl. So I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but but generalizing, you know, the world was really about CDs and the only way people could consume them was by buying them from from stores. And it's, you know, torrenting and ripping and all that sort of stuff would come. LimeWire would come, but there was just this weird period. And I think that... I put out a lot of records, um, gave a lot of chances to bands. So I was pretty psyched on that. That was sort of the greatest achievement with that label. And that wouldn't have happened without the other guys in the band being super supportive um, and, and helpful in, in every way that they were. So yeah, I mean, look, that's probably why I would pick Credulity. I think it probably changed and did everything. Um, is it the record that I would play to someone that hasn't heard the band no that's that's not what i would be. i mean i guess i probably picked maybe the death or unholy rush perhaps and question four what have you guys got planned for the next 30 years well i'm not really thinking that far ahead and i don't think anyone else in the band is but belty's written belty's written a record um, I mean, I think it's going to take a while for us to be able to be available and free and get together and, you know, and rehearse it and Matt write the lyrics. Um, and I think if you only count the full lengths, you know, you know not the splits or the EPs or, or whatever, we've, we've kind of on average released a record every three years uh, until the last one, which was about 10 years or so. So I guess going by recent form, it's probably it's going to give us three years to get this thing out. Um, just to do a better job than we did last time, time-wise. Um, look, we only play once a year, so it, it's funny, like, even a record that came out six years ago sort of still feels recent for us. Um, but other than that, we, I guess, probably don't look that far ahead. I mean, I think that's a decent goal. New record, yeah? You happy with that? And question five, and why we're here today, You've just announced a bunch of shows. Run us through them. Give us the dates, venues, all the info. Let's get out and celebrate celebrate the uh, greatest Australian hardcore band ever. Uh, we managed to block out a whole month of weekends. Um, we tried to get five and that didn't work. So then we had four and uh, it was a long time ago. We sort of penciled October for it to happen and we we're kind of lucky that it, it stuck through because history's taught us that, you know, we can that sometimes the further in advance we try and book these things, something will pop up in someone's life that will will, will sabotage it. Uh, we got we got pretty lucky this time around. Um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read the dates. Um, but if you go to the Instagram account, you'll be able to see all the shows, all the cities, all the lineups. Um, I'm really happy with the lineups that we've got. We had a 
sort of a long list of bands and a couple of bands that we wanted weren't available um you know one had to cancel last minute um but saying that there's also a bunch of bands that we didn't get to that we did want to play shows with um which is probably a testament to how good australian hardcore and punk and metal and adjacent music is at the moment is that you know we're actually fucking spoiled for choice and we're not getting to play with everyone that we did want to play with um it's pretty crazy so yeah hit instagram and have a look at that um i do want to say though that you know we did plan to hit more places and some other shows were actually booked in other cities and i even accidentally uploaded the wrong poster when we announced the tour so people are well aware that there was a hobart show in there at one point um and that was unfortunate that, that thing fell over i mean we want to get back down there i think it's it's been 15 to 20 years since we've been down there and 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 had nothing but a good time there and you know there's other cities as well and states that that we're going to try and get back to i think i guess it's probably tying in from the last question of you know what's up for the next 30 years well i think there's, there's a few more things that we want to do next year to try and make up for what we missed this year so hopefully that's going to fall sooner than later but i guess we'll we'll, we'll see how that that goes um thanks for the questions gents uh i hope i was kind of coherent i've still got a bit of covid brain and a lot of brain fog going on hopefully it's not a hard listen if anyone's actually made it this fucking far Disturbing the Hive off the album Disturb the Hive, which I really wanted to play because 
yes, it's not the death that came out in 2004 and which if you ask most people, that's their favorite record. But for me, for some reason, I fucking love Disturb the Hive. So yes, we didn't play Bulldoze. We've, again, that's on the Matt episode. So please go back. And also we went into a lot more detail with that one. I re-listened to it the other day to check what songs we played. And if you want a full history lesson, that's where to go to. We're just touching, just merely touching the surface here. But I just really wanted to play a song off this record, Disturb the Hive, because I think it might be overlooked. It definitely isn't for me. It's one of my favourites. They fucking killed it. And this kind of came out at a time when Australian hardcore was going through quite a bit of a, a resurgence, if you will. Hardcore 2007 is still one of the biggest hardcore shows I've seen with my own eyes. It was fucking insane. Sold out uh, Roundhouse in Sydney. Um, Who headlined like, Well, I believe Mindsnare. They definitely did. Mindsnare did. That's what I mean. There was no Parkway. There was no, you know what I mean? Mm. It was just hardcore. Like, So it was psycho to fill a room like that. And it was sold out. And it, it, it was just crazy timing. Like they had a new record. Miles Away had a new record. No apologies. Just we released our album the week of the show. It was insane. I sold a thousand CDs at the show. No, you didn't. Wait, sorry, I didn't. I sold 500 CDs at the show. <laughs> That's still sorry. psycho. It's still insanity. It's who, insane. Who would think to bring 500 CDs? I went home and got them or sent Adrienne. We sold the first box, gone. I said, go get another box, sold. Fuck, maybe I'm fucking up the numbers. Don't go back on your word, just stick to your story. All right. We sold a lot of CDs and it was psycho anyway. Imagine, remember CDs, anyone? <laughs> no one um, does. But yeah, it was psycho anyway. So, I think I think uh, the death was probably a lot of people's favourite because it for the younger than us people, that might have been one of their first entries into the scene or even if you're like mid-20s, you're probably not yeah, going to go back point. to to under fire you know you're going to just kind of start and that was at the time yeah one of the the biggest so and disturbing the hive was equally as good but just came out at a different time for yeah the scene mm, but that's one thing i wanted to say mind snare for me they get better and better every record like they're not just copying what they've done before and they're not just putting out dog shit they really are like honing what they do and getting better at it it's fucking psycho so that's why i wanted to play that song anyway um let's hear from the man that writes well actually i think nigel has a bit of but let's just say belty writes most of the music i don't know if he does but let's let's have a hear from the man himself the belt thrower hey what's up this is belty from mine snare uh, this year we're celebrating 30 years as a band, which is absolutely crazy to think that we have been dragging this thing on for that long and there's still people coming out to see us. So anyway, um, the legends at 5Qs have asked me to come on and say a little something about the 30-year anniversary, so here I am. Anyway, um, where do you start? 
the band has been um, very lucky to have been so well supported throughout the whole whole 30 years. Uh, people coming to shows, people putting on shows, people coming up for a chat and just, yeah, uh, it all, it's, it's what keeps us going basically. Um, so, yeah, um, anyway, we're, we're not done yet. We've still got some more things to do. Uh, we've just announced a string of shows to support the 30-year anniversary. Um, some incredible bands on the lineup. The, the scene has just blown up in the last couple of years, as everyone knows. Um, it's never been better. There's crazy bands everywhere. Um, there's always shows on, underground shows in every city, every weekend. So if you're not going to shows at the moment, there's, uh, there's no excuse really. Um, our run of shows starts in October, I think it is, 6th of October. Um, we've got some of these, uh, new bands, we've got some old bands, but please, if you're coming out, make sure you get there early because every, we've chosen you know these lineups pretty pretty carefully every band uh that's on these shows will blow your mind make sure you get out there early and see them um if you're coming at all please do <laughs> anyway um so yeah we're even we've got a show in frankston uh we haven't played in frankston for bloody close to 25 years or something it's going to be crazy it's all ages um I'm going to take my kids, hopefully throw them in the pit. Um, so, yeah, anyway, uh, thanks to everyone. Uh, hopefully see you at the shows. Um, cheers. Later. All right. Like I said, this is just touching the base, and they've got a whole heap of splits. We spoke about the Congress one. Uh, they did one with Numb. Day of Contempt and One King Down, like two or one. That's a fucking Australian hardcore piece of literature. That should be in the Louvre, that thing. <laughs> I don't even know if I said that. It should be in the Australian Museum and you should have to put gloves on it when you look at it. They did one with Numb and Powerhouse, the Gas Man 7-inch, which came out, which Clint from Short Fuse put out. Like that's, if anyone doesn't know, Short Fuse Records is like a, Iconic Australian hardcore label. Um, fuck. Jay Snapshot put out a toe to toe mind snare one. There was a ringworm one. And then they did a whole bunch of new seven inches for the newest record. Anyway, they got a whole heap of shit. Some of like shit as in amazing music that's out there. Not all of it's on Spotify, so you might have to do a bit of digging, but it's all great. And it, it's just if you're a man or woman with all the seven inches or a huge collection, please send in a photo of all your gems to Peter. We would love to see it. I am we, that man. We'll we'll be giving a free burrito to the person with the most seven inch collection of mind snare. Will we now? Yes, I'll, I'll purchase it <laughs> with the podcast. Mr. With the podcast. Um, credit card oh okay yeah that's fine mm. um but speaking about how they just continue to make good music and this is psycho to me but the last record unholy rush came out in 2017 i don't understand 
understand how the fuck that's gone so fast. Um, and unlike Jed painting me a picture of a man who only listens to the first song of every album, I've chosen to play a song which is a bit of a deep cut. I think it's towards the end of the album and the band probably even say, why would you play that song? But it's called Escape the Fallout and it's fucking all time. So I don't know, just to wrap things up, buy a ticket, go be a part of Australian hardcore history and celebrate these guys. They deserve it. Like you, I can't speak. I don't know. I sound like the biggest sweater in the world, but. I am. Well, you are because, like, like I'm the biggest Parkway sweater in the world. You've been around them since you were 14, 15. Like, that's yeah. more than half well, your life. Well, that's the thing. I've openly talked about toe-to-toe changing my life and being the thing that made me, you know. But And I've openly also said this. With the lineup changes toe-to-toe had, even Pete, my, my best friend, joining the band, it changed the band. It wasn't still toe-to-toe. It was just a singer and a bunch of guys, you know. Whereas Mindsnare, and all respect to Scott, legend, but Mindsnare haven't done that. They've remained a core unit and continued to, to function like that, you know, and that's the difference, I guess, you know what I mean? Mm. Not well, talking shit on anyone? No, you're not. And I dare say... Like, if any band's going to do it, they might get to uh, 35 or 40 years as a band. So, but I wouldn't be uh, holding your breath for a, a show anytime soon. So, this is your once in a blue moon opportunity to go skits in the pit. The venues are tiny, it's going to be an absolute bush pit from hell. <laughs> but that's what you come to expect. A bush pit. Have you been in a push pit before? Oh, I thought you said bush. <laughs> no, I said push. Yeah, I'm aware. Yeah, if you don't like beer getting spilled on you, or a man that weighs mm. 150 kilos knocking you over, don't like, go in the pit. If you think you're going to get an opportunity to do a windmill or a two-step, you're completely <laughs> wrong. Because big Jim's oh. going to be head walking all over you. Now, listen here. I know you say I talk about fighting a lot, but no one has had more fights at Mindsnare shows in the world than me. I have been attacked by every sort of Mindsnare fan there is. Matt brings out all these old, loose skaters. They've all fought me over the years with varying degrees of success. <laughs> yeah, I've it's, I've noticed the diverse crowd that they bring. They bring... Oh, Real crust so punk mohawk dudes, like skaters. Just, yeah, they've got a huge, wide fan base, and uh, as they should. And hopefully, all the young kids who can get a ticket can see the masters at work. So, let's wrap yeah, it up. To be here. honest, th- yeah, I was just going to say. To be honest, that's the whole point of why we're doing this. Obviously, we're speaking to the converted when we're talking to people our age and. They're fans that already exist. But if you are listening to this, you know, and you, you, you've come here after checking out Speed or Nerve Damage or any of the sort of newer bands around at the moment, I implore you to go and check this band out. They uh, will not leave you disappointed, that's for sure. And it's something you shouldn't miss, really. Because like you said, it's fucking not happening again in like six months. Like, whereas most bands will play every six months, these guys only do something once a year, you know what I mean? Mm. Well, it's been and that's honor- not going to last forever. It's been an honor to uh, 
be a Mind Snare fan for the last 23 years of my life. So I look forward to many more. Thanks, Nigel, Belpsy, Gordy, and Matt. You're all legends. Cheers. Yeah.